Well, good morning, Rocky Peak. Isn't it an awesome day out there? This is so beautiful. What a, a great Mother's Day. And uh, I want to welcome you. My name's Michael, and I'm one of the pastors here. And so whether you're here at our worship center, you're over uh, in the Ridge venue, or you're, uh, you're joining us later online, just want to welcome you on this Mother's Day weekend. And we want to give a shout out to moms today. Uh, we're so, so thankful for you. And now I was reflecting uh, yesterday on this service and what I wanted to say about that and the thing that that uh, struck me is that I think that when we get to the end of time, right, when we stand before Jesus, the end of time, and all things are measured out, and everything's are assigned their true value and weighed their true weight, what we will realize there is well, one of the greatest callings, one of the greatest privileges in life is to be a mom and to, um, to give birth to life and then to shepherd uh, and, and raise the next generation for the king. I mean, there's this whole higher calling and so uh, we want to thank you. And for those of you that uh, maybe you're not a physical mom, you're a spiritual mom, that God has raised you up like in, in Judges. This is Deborah was a mother of Israel. You know, she was a great leader. And, and so for, for some of you, that is your calling. And um, so we just want to celebrate you. Thank you for uh, all you do for us and for the life you give. So we can give a round of applause to all moms here. Well, I think of all the, uh, all the sacrifice, all the love, um, all the generosity. It happens not at just the beginning of life, but all through life. We, we appreciate and thank you for that. Uh, we're going to go into our time of teaching today. And so uh, inside your program is a green and white message note sheet we use every week during this time of teaching. And so especially if you're new, you'll want to, uh, to pull that out because that'll help you follow along. And uh, if you're ready to go, I'm ready to jump in. You guys ready to go? All right, let's pray. God, we're just excited to be here on your day. What a beautiful day it is. And we just think of your word that uh, this is the day the Lord has made. Um, and, and we want to get everything out of it. We're, we're so conscious that as we gather as a church week by week, this is like our spiritual huddle. This is where we come together under your word, under your leadership, under the authority of your spirit. And we come and we listen so that we can follow. We get our marching orders. We, we learn who you are and you, you are revealed as we unpack your word. And so we pray that today by the power of your spirit, you will be here in fullness, in the fullness of your spirit. You'll be teaching each of us by name. You'll be renewing our minds so that we can uh, experience the will of God, that which is good and pleasing and perfect. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. So our story today begins on a Friday afternoon, and so he's going to pick up his girls at school, and uh, as, as normally, uh, as he as usually does, he'll park away from campus because it's a long, it's a long, uh, long and carefully orchestrated pickup line for parents and, uh, and so he's going to park away and kind of get a walk in, and then he'll, he'll see his girls there as they come out of class, and they'll get back in, uh, walk up the hill, across the street, to their car, and uh, today he's going to take them out for frozen yogurt just to catch up, get some time with them, and uh, afterwards they, they drive home, and when they get home, it's this beautiful day, day much like today, it's uh, blue skies, white clouds, um, perfect temperature, spring day, and so they're going to go out inside and play, and this always makes him excited in this digital age, right? He's excited to see his, uh, these kids going out and playing and enjoying the great outdoors. 
And so after about an hour, uh, they come in. Uh, they're playing in an alleyway behind the house. It's, uh, it's one of those new kind of modern developments where houses, uh, the garages back up to one another. And so there's a, a double wide sort of alleyway. It's a great place to play, very safe. And they're, they're out there. The garage door is up. They're playing. They come in and say, would you come out and, uh, and join us? And we want to teach you a new game. And so he goes out, and it's a pretty simple game, actually. It's, uh, if you can kind of picture it, sort of an imaginary line between two rows of, of uh, garages. And it's sort of like the old game of, uh, of two square. You've got a big ball, and you get this imaginary line, and one person on one side, one person on the other side. And the object of the game is to bounce the ball uh, and to get it to bounce three times. And then if the other person doesn't catch it by the third time, they're out, and you're going to rotate it in. And so it doesn't take him very long to, to catch on to this game. And he's playing, and there's another neighborhood girl is common. So there's the four of them there. And there's nothing to suggest that this day, this afternoon, this game is going to end differently than many times before. Well, today, we are continuing this series that we started a couple weeks ago that's called Metamorphosis Face-to-Face. And if you're new, um, this whole series is based on a letter from a man that we call Paul, the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to a group of Jesus followers that he's actually led to Jesus about five years before in a major Roman city in southern Greece, southern Greece today, uh, called Corinth. And uh, as he writes from one of the key words that he uses in this letter to talk about God's vision for their lives is this, the Greek word metamorpho. And of course, this is where we get our English word metamorphosis from, and it's a word that describes uh, a gradual but uh, very profound change, a transformation. It's the word we use in English to describe the journey that a tadpole takes to become a frog or a caterpillar to become a butterfly. But in this, in this, uh, this uh, letter, uh, Paul is going to use this word to describe the journey that we go on. That when we come to Jesus, we enter into a, what he calls a face-to-face relationship with God through his Holy Spirit, um, that we enter into a transformation process where as we learn to listen and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we are transformed uh, to go from our, who we were, our tadpole, to become like the frog, or we, we become, we go from, from being like the, the caterpillar to the butterfly, we become like from who we were to, who, to a person who's like Jesus, the people that we're created to be. And so if you are here last week, we kicked off, uh, we opened up the, the book for the first time. We looked at the first two verses where the Apostle Paul introduces himself. You may remember that. He introduces himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. We talked about what it meant to be apostle, why that was so important. Uh, he goes on to greet them. And today he's going to launch into the main body of the letter. Now, if you're familiar with the letters of Paul, you'll know this that often when Paul writes a letter, after his initial greeting, he will begin to thank God for what God is doing in the lives of those he's, uh, that he's writing to, what he's done, what he's going to do, what he's still doing. And uh, in this letter, he's not going to do that. He doesn't always do that, but he usually does that. In this letter, he's not going to do that. He's going to start with a Jewish blessing, a kind of a blessing that you would give, like uh, maybe you'd read or state in a Jewish synagogue. And he's going to praise God specifically for being a God who meets us in our midst of our hard times. He's going to praise God, and he's going to talk about how God is the one who meets us in the midst of our hard times, and in the midst of our times, how he transforms us and changes us so we can meet others with his power in the midst of their hard times. Um, And so... uh, 
If you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know this, that one of the big issues in this church, in this letter, is that there are many uh, in the city of Corinth, in the church of Corinth, that are questioning or even challenging Paul's authority. Is he really an apostle? Does he really speak for Jesus? And there are many reasons why they're questioning this. We'll get to them as we go through the letter. But one of the biggest is that Paul's life is often a mess. He is often being chased from one town to another. I think tar and feather type stuff. You know, he's, like, he's, cha- he's running for his life. He's always being arrested. He's sort of a reject in culture at large. Uh, he's, he's, uh, he's often uh, hungry. He's, he's times homeless. He's often poor. He's not well clothed. He's not the best speaker in the world. And in their minds, if you're going to be a spiritual leader speaking for God, you should be someone very special. You should look very special, that you should win, not lose. You know, if God's with you, you should be blessed, not being persecuted. And so they're really struggling with this whole concept. And so uh, we believe this is why Paul starts right away by talking about a God who meets us and transforms us in the midst of our hard times that hard times are not uh, a proof that he's not with us, it's often a proof he is. Um, And so he starts there, and this is gonna become a major topic. In fact, one of the biggest, if not the most important topic in all of Corinthians is how God meets us in hard times and transforms him through us. So this is the first time we're gonna see it come up today. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your apps, let's go ahead and open up to 2 Corinthians chapter one. We're gonna pick it up at verse there in your note sheets, the section called Metamorphosis Argon in Hard Times. And uh, so what he's going to do is he's going to start with this Jewish blessing, like I said, and then he's going to give them a case study, a recent time in his life where he came through a very difficult near-death experience to kind of illustrate this principle of how God meets us in our hard times. So he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of what? Okay, underline, the Father of compassion. In other words, the source of compassion. He's the Father, it's all where compassion comes from. He's the Father of compassion. He's the God of all comfort. Now it's interesting. A uh, quick sidebar on this word comfort. When we think of the word comfort in our culture, we often think in terms of encouragement, uh, warmth during hard, you're going through hard times, you're discouraged, someone comforts you. And, and that definitely is part of what Paul is saying here. But in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, remember the favorite uh, translation that they use, the Septuagint, we talked about that last week, that, that this word is often used to describe how God comforts his people, like in the nation of Israel, and, it, and when they're going through really hard times in the Old Testament, it'll, God is said to comfort them, not in the sense of just encouraging them, but of delivering them, rescuing them from whatever they're going through. So you, you follow that? So, uh, so Paul seems to be using this term in both senses here, that God is a God who comforts us. He meets us in the hard time. He encourages us, but he also is a God who rescues us. And so then he goes on, and he says, uh, He's the God of all comfort, verse four, who comforts us in our troubles. And, and uh, remember when Paul's writing this, you know, often in our passion to unpack scripture and apply it to our lives, when we're reading through the Bible, we often try to apply it to our life too quickly. 
uh, before we understand what it means in its original context. And if we don't understand what the original author meant to the original uh, uh, audience, then chances are we will misapply it, if that makes sense. And so what Paul is talking about here, he's talking when he says us, he's not talking about you all. He's talking about us as apostles. He's even using us in the sense of, we, we call this in English like the editorial we. Like if you've ever read an article and the author says, we believe, we believe, it's a way of saying I believe in sort of a kind of a humble way. And in a similar way here, when Paul's talking about us, he's talking primarily about himself. This is the issue. Are you really an apostle in spite of all this suffering? And so he says in verse, uh, verse four, he says, who comforts us, us as apostles, in all our troubles, talking primarily the persecution he goes through for being a leader of Jesus, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So I want you to catch this. This is a core concept we're going to be talking about today. Paul says that many times as a spiritual leader, uh, as an apostle, Jesus will allow him to go through very difficult times, primarily persecution in his life, but other times too. Um, and that in that hard time, God will meet him in a powerful way and transform him and reveal himself. And this in turn helps Paul to grow so that he can be a conduit of God's love and presence and power to others. So you follow that? It's a very core concept today, and we'll come back to this often. And so he says, for just, verse five, for just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, talking primarily again about the persecution that he goes through for sharing Jesus, uh, so our comfort abounds through Christ. So in other words, yes, you're, you're right. I go through a lot of suffering for Jesus, but the upside of that is he meets me powerfully in the midst of it and transforms me. And then he says, so if we are distressed as apostles, if we're distressed, it's for what? Your comfort and salvation. Do you get this? that? He says that one of the reasons that God allows us to go through such hard times is so that we can experience him, be transformed from him, so that we can pass on and be a conduit of his love, his presence, and his power in your life. So, uh, he says, which produces in you, verse six, uh, which produces in you patient endurance of the same suffering. So when we suffer for Jesus, we're transformed, we experience him, we're able to speak that life into you, and that in turn allows you to grow and to stay firm to Jesus in the midst of your suffering. And he said, our hope for you is firm, we're confident in your future, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, you know, as followers of Jesus, persecution, so you also share in our comfort, like God is meeting you in the same way. And now he wants to talk to him, uh, talk to him about a recent case study in his life. So the Apostle Paul has been a follower of Jesus for about 25 years at this point. And, uh, and so uh, as, a, as an apostle of Jesus, he has suffered greatly over that 25 years. And uh, in fact, later in the book, in the, later in this letter, Paul, for, for uh, reasons we'll talk about when we get there, um, he uh, feels a need to defend himself and to share what he suffered for Jesus. Not for his own glory, but to kind of, um, to bolster up this attack that's coming against him in Corinth and to, and to encourage them in the faith. And so um, 
there on your note sheet, you have a section, uh, a, a passage from 2 Corinthians 11. And I want to look at it just for a second because here's what's going to happen. We're about to look at a time where Paul is going to say, hey, I don't want you to be uninformed, Corinthians, about a recent near-death experience I had where I thought I was going to die. I thought I was going down. Of all the things I've gone through in my life for suffering for Jesus, I thought this was it. I thought I was out. I thought my time was up. Um, but it wasn't. Um, and to put that in context for, hey, how much suffering does it take for the Apostle Paul to think that he's out? Uh, I want to give a context for what he's experienced in the last 25 years. And this is more like a ESPN persecution highlights reel. All right? So this is like, um, this is a first century uh, Paul Channel uh, highlight reel. So look at what he says. Uh, just quickly, he says, uh, I've been in prison more frequently. I know it's more frequently than these new leaders that have come to town or are claiming to be super apostles and have more authority than Paul. He said, I have been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more se severely, you know, it's kind of whipped. I've been exposed to death again and again five times uh, over the last 25 years. I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Right, so that's why they would whip you with, uh, you know, kind of the leather whip uh, 39 times. And uh, the theory was they wouldn't do 40 because 40 would kill you. So <laughs> do 39. So it says three times I was beaten with what? Rods. And that's how the Romans would beat you. They, they, they would beat you like if it was a non-capital non case, they would beat you with rods. So three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. We know about that in Acts. He, he was actually stoned and left for dead and then eventually got up. Uh, three times I was shipwrecked. So we know about one of those in the book of Acts, but there's actually three at this point. Um, I spent a night and day in the open sea just, you know, floating out there thinking he's going to die. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles. This is starting to sound like a country song. Um, <laughs> In danger in the city, in danger in the country, um, it is a country song, and in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. He just gets tired of like listing out all the things. He's just, let's just be general here. I've just, my life has constantly lived in danger. And he said, I've labored and I've toiled. I've gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst, and I've gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Now, the reason I share that, again, is just to create some context for what we're about to read in chapter one, all right? So he's gonna look back, and he says, I want you to be aware of a recent situation I went through that I thought was over. I thought I was gonna die. And remember, the big criticism of Paul in Corinth is that uh, how can God be with you if you're always under so much persecution? And uh, it's very likely they'd heard rumors of this event. He wants to, he wants to straighten up the record, clear the record, here's what really happened. But he also wants to sh use his own life as an example of this principle of how when he goes through suffering, it, God uses to prepare him to lead them well. So here, let's look at it, verse eight. So he says, um, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. Now, I meant to include a map, but I didn't. So, here's our map. <laughs> okay, this is not very effective, but it's gonna be better than nothing, all right? 
This is from week one. I'll get it to you in a few because we use it. For those of you who are here week one, you'll remember this, that Corinth was sort of in the middle of our map in southern Greece. And, uh, and so uh, Asia is over here to the east. This is the province of Asia over here. So it's across the Aegean Sea. Now, um, the capital of Asia was <laughs> the end. Yeah. <laughs> I was watching your eyes glaze over. It's like, this is 9 o'clock. i got to move on fast. I'm going to lose them. Um, uh, the capital of Asia, which we would call Western Turkey today, Asia would be Western. The capital was the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was the capital of Asia, the Roman province of Asia, just like Corinth was the capital of Achaia. Remember that? So uh, Ephesus, like the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire, very important city. After Paul, remember Paul shares Jesus with Cor the Corinthians the first time uh, for a year and a half, and then he left. He eventually lands in Ephesus where he spends for three years. A lot of what's going to happen in the letter of 2 Corinthians is about what goes on in Corinth and Ephesus. And so it's, it's very likely that the suffering that Paul's about to describe, it's possible it happened in Ephesus, but it's also possible it happened after he left Ephesus and began to make his way around to visit them around the Aegean Sea, but before he left Ephesus, before he left Asia. But anyway, so he says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure. Now, I want you to think about that. Think about what the list we just read, what he's endured. And yet this was on, a, on Paul's persecution scale. This was a 10 on a scale of zero to 10. And it was so severe that he was completely convinced that he was going to die. And he says, um, it was far beyond our ability to endure, so we despaired of life itself. We don't know the details, but whatever it was, it was like, I'm, I'm out of here. Indeed, we felt like we had received the sentence of death, not from like a Roman governor, but just from, you know, from God or from himself. And he says, but catch this. He says, but looking back, now here's what I want you to catch. At the time, he thinks he's goner. He thinks, I think it's my time has come, I think, God's calling me home. That's what he thinks. But looking back, after God rescues him, he realizes, oh, there was something bigger at work I didn't realize at the time. And he says, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on whom? God. On God who raises the dead. So, this is one of the most important spiritual lessons in life, is it not? that in order to, to grow, in order to thrive, in order to become the people that we need to be, that we need to learn to rely on God and not on ourselves. Have you learned that? It's one of the hardest lessons in life to learn because by nature, we don't wanna trust God. Like, do you wanna trust God? I know we're in church, but, um, okay, I'll just confess. I don't wanna trust God. I wanna do anything but trust God. I want to trust myself. The only time I trust God is when I'm exhausted and have failed. That's when I learn to trust God. You see, this is the core problem of our race. We don't trust God. This is what happened when we rebelled against, we didn't trust him. We thought that we knew better. We thought we had a better plan for our life. We thought if we struck out in our life, things would go better. And ever since then, we have not 
trusted God. This is why faith is at the heart of the gospel. This is why we're saved by faith because faith is where we begin to trust God to do for ourselves what we cannot do. And this is how life is designed. We were designed in the same way a sailboat is designed to run on wind. We are designed to run on God. Uh, Ever since the fall, we've been trying to row ourselves through life. And God's trying to get us to, hey, trust me. And it will release the wind of my spirit in your life. We're like, no, no, I've got this one. (laughs) And when do we learn to trust? We learn to trust when we start getting exhausted, when the waves of life get so big, we can't tell anymore. We go, God, can you help me? I don't know about you, but we do not learn to rely until we meet something that's too big for us to handle. And Paul knew this. Paul knew this lesson in his life, but have you ever seen how God continues to teach the same lessons over and over, but at deeper levels? Like you think, I think I've got this, and then you go through another situation, I don't have this. And he's like, yeah, I know, that's why I brought you back. You thought you could shoot with your left hand, you're really lousy at it. We're gonna go back, we're gonna work some more on that. And so Paul says that he he was going through this incredibly hard time. He thought he was going down for the last time. He thought he was out, but he says, but that's not what was going on. God was in the hard time, and God was taking me to a place that was completely beyond myself so that I would learn at a new level to rely on him. And here's a beautiful thing, that when, when we learn to rely on him in one area of our life, that lesson is transferable to other areas of our life. And as we learn to rely on him, the power of God is released like a wind that catches our sails. We can never be the people we were created to be while we are relying on ourselves. We're not designed that way. We're designed to rely on the wind of his spirit, but it's a lesson we can only learn through facing challenges that are too big for us. So Paul says, looking back, I can see it now. I didn't get the time. And his point is God was driving this lesson deeper in me and he was gonna rescue me at a more powerful level, level, uh, uh, deeper level. And through that, I was gonna come to know this lesson more and know God more. I was gonna come to experience God as a God of all compassion, the father of compassion, the God of comfort. And he said, and the more that I know that, the more I can pass it on to you. So in the midst of your hard times, you can have confidence. Are you with me? You following this? So it's just beautiful. So he says, he says, indeed, verse nine, we, we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And he has delivered us from such a deadly peril. He says, we're, we're done with that. I want you to know God rescued us. And he will deliver us again. Says, in other words, I know this is not the last hard time I'm going through. But he said, um, as you help by your prayers. So he's challenging them. We're in this together. I'm your apostle. You're my sons and daughters spiritually. We're in this together. My part is to suffer with Jesus for your sake. Your part is to join with me in prayer for my deliverance. And he says, then many will give thanks on, on behalf of the, grace, of the for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. And so when we gather with each other and we pray for God's protection and God's deliverance and God, de- and God delivers, then we all get to participate in that victory and the end result is that he receives 
the glory and the praise and the honor that he deserves, right? So that's the passage. Now, what I wanna do today is, is kinda highlight two very important principles uh, in our life about, about how, how God uses hard times in our lives to grow us, kinda what he's up to in those times. Um, and uh, to get at this, I wanna ask two important questions, all right? So there in your note sheet, you have a section called Metamorphosis, Hard Times in You, and uh, here's question number one. The first question is, how do you process hard times? We'll all go through hard times, right? We all go through hard times. We all go through times of suffering. We all go through times of loss. Um, some of you are in one right now. You're, you have a tremendous hard time. You just discovered you had cancer. You've lost a loved one. Uh, you lost a job. You had a relational breakup. Um, your body is breaking down. It's, it's letting you down. There's something going on. It's very, you've got a, a lost prodigal uh, uh, son or daughter, and there's something going on that's very painful. And the question I have for you is, when you go through these kinds of hard times, how do you process those? How do you think about those? We all process, don't we? When we're going through a hard time, we all do this. We all say, God, where are you? What are you doing? Why are you allowing this? When is it going to end? Like we all process. And the question is, how do you think about hard times? What's your mental paradigm for hard times? Now, while you're thinking about that, I wanna do a quick sidebar. I wanna go back to a key verse that's so critical for understanding this whole letter, the situation at Corinth, the process of transformation, metamorphosis, our lives. And it's this passage we've looked at the last two weeks. I wanna to continue to come back to it. It's in Romans chapter 12. It's the other place in the entire New Testament where the Apostle Paul uses this Greek word, metamorpho. And it's there in your note sheet. You remember, you'll remember it from last week. He says, uh, Paul says, as followers of Jesus, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. So remember we talked about that last week. We talked about jello and how when you heat up jello, uh, you pour it into, it conforms to whatever you pour it into. It shapes. And Paul says, as followers of Jesus, don't conform um, to the pattern, the schemes, the paradigms, would be a good word for us, the paradigms of this world, this age, uh, our culture. He says, but be what? <coughs> transformed, metamorpho, be transformed. And he says, but that transforming happens by the renewing of your what? And so in other words, if we're going to be transformed, we're going to have to learn to change the way we think. <coughs> our perspectives. Our opinions, our values, our priorities, our beliefs are going to have to change. Remember what I pointed out, that when he says you have to be renewed in your mind, he's assuming that much of the current way we look at life is wrong, even as believers. And he said, we're going to, so you're going to be renewed and <coughs> transformed with the renewed mind. He says, and then, and only then, you'll be able to test and approve. I like the word experience, like a monzo in the Greek, uh, to kind of prove by experience to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and what? Perfect will. So he says, God, as followers of Jesus, God has a good, pleasing, and perfect will for your life, but it's not automatic. To experience that, you have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You have to change the way you think. Now, here's the thing. 
one of the most important areas for us to be transformed, for our minds to be renewed, to change the way we think. One of the most important areas is how we think about hard times. This is what the Corinthians were not doing. They were thinking more like their culture than like Christ. Uh, we follow a Messiah who was arrested, beaten, stripped naked, humiliated, completely rejected, and crucified on a Roman cross that was considered so humility, humiliating that in, in polite Roman conversation, you are not allowed to mention the word. That's who we follow. And yet in their minds, instead of looking at Jesus as the model, in their minds, if you're gonna be a spiritual leader, you need to be brilliant, you need to be educated, you need to be a great speaker, your life should be blessed, you should be wealthy, you should be well-dressed, you should be like one of the spiritual leaders in Corinth. And so when the Apostle Paul comes going through all this suffering, they're like, how can you be a spiritual leader? How can you be so close to Jesus? How can you be personal apostle of Jesus representing? How can that be when your life is so messed up? That's not our image of a spiritual leader. Are you with me? And as a result, their lives are completely messed up because they're following the wrong authorities. As we talked about last week. I want to ask you some questions. These are rhetorical questions, all right? Just questions for you to answer among yourself. I just want to reflect on this. Um, but I want to ask you a question. When have you grown the most spiritually in your life? Let me ask you this. When have you experienced the presence and the power and the compassion of God in your life the most? Uh, when have you learned how to surrender your will to God and learned how to obey, which is the key? Listen and follow, right? Um, when <coughs> have you been uh, moved into a new level of spiritual maturity because you finally learned to rely on God and not your strength? Um, when have your, has your character been transformed to become most like, more like Jesus the most? Um, when has God transformed you so you can be a conduit of his love and presence and power to others the most? See, chances are that for most of us here that many, if not most of the times, is when you are going through hard times. And if you're like me, as you look back on those hard times, you have two feelings about them. Number one, is I never wanna go through that again in my life. That is like the worst. I would not wish that upon my worst enemy. And the second feeling, if you're like me, is but I would never change it for the world. Because I would not be who I am. I would not know God like I do. That I would not be transformed without that. And see, what Paul is sharing with the Corinthians is that God's vision for our life, your life and my life, our, his, vi our, his vision is so much bigger than what we would describe as worldly success 
or physical comfort, which are two of the biggest gods of our age. It's what the world values. That his vision for our life is to transform us, to change us to be the people we were created to be, people like Jesus. And for that, there are times in our lives we will be required to suffer. Not because God doesn't love us, he's the father of compassion, the God of all comfort, but because he does. He, t- he accepts us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. And so if we're going to be renewed, we have to be renewed in our minds in the way we think about hard times, our paradigm of hard times. Number two, the second question is even more challenging, so hang with me as I unpack this. But the question is, will you face hard times for others? Like in your life, are you willing to go through hard times, not just for your own growth and development and maturity and your own future, but are you willing to go through hard times for the sake of others? Now, the good news about this, let me get this off my chest right away. The good news about this is that fortunately, God usually doesn't ask us permission. (laughs) But I still think it's a helpful question to get at this point. Um, so what we've seen, um, we saw it very clearly as we walk through the passage today, verse four, is that Paul says that one of the reasons that he as an apostle goes through such hardship in his life is not just for his own personal growth and learning, but it's so that he can be transformed to be like Jesus uh, so that he can be a conduit of God's love and presence and power in the lives of others, right? Very clear about that. He says, the reason we go through this is so that God will meet meet us and then we can pass on that comfort to you and help you grow. And when you stop and think about it, this goes to the heart of the message of Jesus and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We talk here a lot at Rocky Peak about transformation, don't we? This is our core value. If you had one value for us as a church, it is that I have transferred that we would become the people who are created to be people like Jesus. But if you stop and think about it, who is Jesus? Jesus is someone who loves others so much, he is willing to go through suffering so that they may have life. Amen? And so, catch this if we're going to be transformed to be like Jesus, that we're gonna become people that we are willing to go through suffering for the sake of others, for their life. And in fact, this is one of well, Paul's big things he'll be going throughout the book, throughout this letter. He's gonna come back to it again and again. He says, hey, the reason that, that I am going through such hard times is that Jesus has called me as an apostle not just to share the message of a God who loves you and will suffer for you, but to actually follow in his footsteps and model that in my life. So when you look at my life, as I'm just telling you about a God who loves you and will suffer for you, I am modeling that in my life. 
So when you get to chapter four, this is what Paul will say. We're always being struck down as apostles. We're always being struck down. We're always going through hard times. We're going through all this suffering. I always carry in my body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus can be revealed in me. When you, you look at someone, you look at a follower of Jesus, and they're going through a tremendously difficult time that should just lay them out. And they are rising above it, not denying the pain, not pretending, not being Pollyanna, but they, they are rising above it. People look at that and say, how is that person able to do that? And that person is able to say, it's not me, it's the power of Jesus resurrecting me. Right? It's not me. It's like God is, is raising me, it's Jesus in me. And the world sees the message of the cross in our lives. They see the death and the resurrection of Jesus in our lives. We become, and that's what Paul is saying. He says that, that God's vision for our life is so much bigger than just comfortable, that we're comfortable and successful, but God is doing a profound work in our life so we can love others as he has loved us. That we would be transformed to be people who love others as he has loved us. And you know, this, 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 uh, this vision has been growing in my life for the last, from like early last fall. And it's funny how series, how series happen, like metamorph, how does series happen? I mean, sometimes they come in a flash, I know. Sometimes they're like a seed that God begins to plant in water and it begins to grow. And at a certain point you realize, this is something for us as a church. And this one started early last fall. And as you remember, last fall we were going through this series called The Gospel, which is a study of the letter of Paul to the Philippians. And so early in that series, because I'm studying kind of like long in advance for what's coming up, and so early in that series, I was studying in Philippians chapter three, and Paul says that I want to know Christ, and I want to know the power of his resurrection, and I am so with him. I'm like, yes, me too. (laughs) And then he goes on, and I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. I'm like, yeah, you can have that one. I don't. <laughs> can I just go for like two out of three? <laughs> but it started this process of the Holy Spirit working my life in a process and understanding, like, Michael, if you want to know Jesus, if you want to know his heart, you want to know him like a good friend, you have to share in his sufferings. Because only when you've gone through what he's gone through in some way, do you understand his heart? Like think of it like this. If you're a cancer survivor, you have an instant connection with every other cancer survivor that people that haven't had cancer can't really understand because you know them. You've experienced what they've experienced and therefore you know them and there's a connection that others can't know. And I began to see that, remember Paul was writing the church of Philippi, a church under persecution. Paul was in prison when he wrote that. 
And he, he says, hey, this persecution I'm going through, I'm going through it for Jesus and for the people who will come to Jesus as a result of my life. And so I'm willing to enter into that persecution and, and share in the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings so that I can know his heart. And it began this journey for me, and that journey then led me, I started thinking last fall about 2 Corinthians, and like, that's exactly what Paul says all through 2 Corinthians. And I began thinking about 2 Corinthians, praying about 2 Corinthians, and studying 2 Corinthians just on my own, and just like, I just wanted to learn more about what he was showing me. And you see, this is the vision, his vision is so much bigger that we would be comfortable His vision is that we would be changed, that we would be people who radically love Jesus and we radically love others. And if I have to go through suffering so that others can experience him, I am willing to do that. Like he did it for me. Crazy. And recently, I went through an experience where I felt like he was teaching me at this at a deeper level. And remember, there's like many layers of learning a lesson, right? This is my my next layer. Not the biggest lesson, For some of you, you're going through things much bigger than this. Paul went through things much bigger. But for me and my growth, this was my next story. And so uh, this takes us back to the story that we started the day with. Uh, So if you kind of rewind to the beginning of of the service, I I started talking about a man who was going to his elementary school to pick up his two kids, nine and 10, two girls, and going out to frozen yogurt and then coming back to the house, beautiful day, and they're going outside and playing the game, and you kind of remember that whole thing. This is actually a story from my life. And uh, I promised you that we got to metamorphosis. I would tell you the story of the hen. <laughs> this is that story. But I saved it for today because as you'll see, it's not just a story, it's a part of this series. And so, you know, I went out that day and they taught me the, the game. And you remember the, you know, the whole, the, you, know, you, can't, you can let it go up three times, but the ball bounced three times and you have to catch it or you're out. And so, you know, we'd, we'd rotated in and out a couple times. I kind of had the game. And of course, it wasn't that challenging, right? You're playing with nine and 10-year-olds. And, uh, and so, uh, so after a couple times, um, the neighborhood girl steps in. I just beat the other person, uh, my, one of my, <laughs> my granddaughter. And, uh, and so I gently defeated her. Um, and the neighborhood, so, so I decided to step up very close to the line to give her like an advantage, just make it more of a challenge, you know, for me, more of an advantage for her. So I step up next to the line, and she, man, she seizes the day. She sees like this is gonna be good, and she takes that ball and she flings it down as hard it can go, and this ball takes off like a rocket over my head down the alley. And so, you know, I'm in pretty good shape. I'm used to being outdoors and stuff. So I turn on a dime and I start sprinting full speed. Like this is fun for me. You know, it's like sprinting full speed to try to catch this ball. And so I'm going and it's like trying to catch it and the ball's up here and I'm running full speed and all of a sudden I went down hard. Uh, not like, oh, I'm losing my balance three steps and down. I mean like what just happened down. I could be no more surprised if there had been a person in the garage with a baseball bat and went boom across my head. I just went down and it turned out later what had happened was I had hit a pine cone. And, and so it was like a car on ice. And I just went down. In fact, I got the pine cone. Um, this is what's left of the pine cone. Yeah, 
this will be part of my life story. It's like, I don't know how I'm gonna paste it in my journal, but. Um, <clears throat> and when I said I went down, man, I went down, and I, I don't remember much about that at all, but apparently my right hand instinctively tried to break the fall, and uh, uh, it wasn't enough. My right face finished the job. And I'm laying there in pain, just smashed in the head, and like, I don't know, like, what just happened? And uh, they're quite a ways away, because remember, I was sprinting. And uh, so they're like, are you okay? <laughs> and I just didn't want them to worry, so I'm on the ground, I just kind of roll over. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm fine. And they're not totally buying it, so they continue to walk closer. Are you okay? And I don't want them to see, and I, I was like, uh, yeah, just give me a minute. <laughs> I'm just laying there, and they're getting closer. And I, as I start to roll over, uh, I won't go into graphic detail, but let's just say my, my right pinky was not where it's supposed to be. And there was a huge gash that went from my ring finger, like deep, deep gash, not like a scratch, deep gash that went all the way to the outside of my palm. And my finger was kind of following it. And, uh, and so I did not want them to see that. And so I just, I, uh, I just I rolled over, kind of cut my hand to my, to my chest and got up and said, hey, I'm just gonna go in and rest for a little bit. Um, <laughs> and so I, I, <laughs> I stagger inside the house uh, and to the bar and Lynn's like, are you okay? I'm like, no. And she's like, look, and she's freaking out. Like, of course, I can't see myself, but my glasses are like this. <laughs> my hole up here is all black and blue. Um, and then she, I, and I, I said, let me show you a hand. And, I, and, she, and even though she's a nurse, she was like, oh. <laughs> and then I said, I think I'm going to need some stitches. And she said, you think? <laughs> And so we got some ice on it, covered up. She rushes me to ER, so there's a trauma center. This was in San Marcos. Uh, 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 gets me to the trauma center, and I get in, I start getting cold. You know, it's like I'm going into kind of shock or whatever. They're putting blankets on me. I'm waiting in the ER to, to get in back, back in. They got me in fairly, fairly early, and I ended up being there. We got there about five o'clock at night. We had been being up there for seven hours in the ER. During that time, they took, uh, they took x-rays in my hand, CAT scan of my head, uh, more x-rays of my hand, and after seven hours, they came, well, well, they came back in early on and said, hey, you've got a brain bleed, and um, we think that's gonna be okay, though, uh, um, but we think it's gonna, but we wanna monitor that, um, and then when they came back for the, the second, the CAT scan of my hand, they said, you've got serious damage in there. It turned out that there was a compound fracture in my pinky, and that, that deep gash was not from the outside in, it was from the bone coming out. Uh, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> Rocky Peak, we're committed to teaching the truth. So, uh, and, uh, and so they said, and on top of that, it's dislocated from your hand and the metatarsals are messed up, they're, they're twisted. And uh, so we're gonna have to go in, we've got an orthopedic surgeon, he's coming in, gonna do emergency surgery. They're gonna have to put wires, stain, like three stainless steel wires in your hand to hold it together. They're, if you take this off, this, the green stubs are still there, you still see them, they, they come out pretty soon. We're gonna put three wires in there to hold it together, and we're gonna put a titanium plate in your finger. That's gonna be permanent, five screws to hold your finger together. 
Um, and so we don't know. We don't know if you're going to get full use of that back. It's going to be like a year recovery uh, time. And so at midnight, they, they wheel me in. Sister Lynn and I, they wheel me in, and they're going to put doing me in surgery. And, and I come out hour and 15, hour and a half later, go through, you know, go through recovery. It's 6 o'clock in the morning. I'm finally ready to go to my private room. And they said, we're going to keep you until Sunday we're keep, because we're really concerned the depth of that break, the bone. We don't want an infection, so we want you to be on IV antibiotics uh, and pain pills for a while. And, uh, and so, you know, so I'm, I'm there. It's like 6 in the morning. And um, I told Lynn, look, go home, get some rest, and, you know, I'll be okay. And, and so, you know, I slept for an hour or so and then woke up. And I, and, and I was getting texts back because, you know, from, from very early on, this is a crazy thing. Very early on in this whole process, I mean, from the time I'm in the car writing to ER and just kind of where am I and what happened, um, a song began to play in my mind. And it was a new song that we've been learning here at Rocky Peak called The Goodness of God. And it wasn't like I was trying to remember the song. It wasn't like I was trying to comfort myself. It was, I'm sure you've had this at times where the Lord just like brings a song to mind and that song just begins to play and it was so, uh, it was so beautiful. Some of the lyrics of that song that began to go through my mind is, it says, uh, all my life you've been so faithful and all my life you've been so good and you've led me through the fire and uh, I've known you as a father and I've known you as a friend. Um, sorry, it just kind of moves me, but um, I've lived in the goodness of God and as I'm riding in the car with my hand a mess and not knowing where, like what, it's, it's just like the presence of God was there. He was meeting me in that. And that song continued to go through my mind, not just that day, and not just the next day, but for the next five days. And as I, as I was sitting there waiting to be seen by the doctor, it was like my mind began to go back over my life. A lot of you know that when I was about 11, I had a very serious bicycle accident that uh, led to a skull, a five-point skull fracture and almost had to have uh, brain surgery. And as I was laying there, it was just like this song playing through that God has been with me my whole life. Things where it could have been so much worse, but he's been with me. And like here from 11 years old to where I am now, and I've, I've lived in this goodness of God. And just the presence of God, the comfort of God was so powerful. And uh, in the morning, after Lynn left, and then I, I woke up shortly after, of course, right away from, even from, we're sitting out there waiting to get into ER, I'm like, have, you know, Lynn, take pictures, and, uh, you know, we're sending them to friends, and, uh, and, uh, and so, uh, I, you know, we're saying, hey, would you pray for us? We had this accident, and we didn't know what's going on. And, uh, and so, of course, texts were coming back, and prayers were going back, and we're updating our friends throughout that time, and when they finally took the wound off and washed it, we took pictures of that, and the, the ER doctors photobombed it. He jumped in, and says, "This picture is in there," and uh, and it's just you know. This, and so that next morning, I got a text from Lynn Johnson. A lot of you know Lynn. Lynn is the wife of our uh, lead life group pastor Neil Johnson. They're close friends, love them, and great prayer partners. And and so as I'm laying there, I'm reading this text from Lynn, and she says. Um, she says, as I've been praying for you, the word that keeps going through my mind, it keeps coming to my mind, is the word metamorphosis. 
Now remember, this was a week or two before we started the series. Um, at one level, that made sense because, well, you know, I mean, that's a weird word to come to mind, but we have been telling the series, you know, so it's like, okay. But at a different level, it struck me as so profound because though Lynn knew the name of the series, she knew nothing about the series. And what she didn't know is the heart of the series, what's been growing in my heart since last fall, was how God takes us through hard times to transform us and to shape us to make us a conduit of his love to others. And I was always laying in there. From the very beginning, I sensed that God was in this, but at that moment, I felt like the Holy Spirit was showing me that this is not just about you. And I'm sure there's more to the story and what God's doing in my life than I can begin to understand. Like as you know, God is the ultimate multitasker. Like he never does one thing at a time. But I felt like in that moment, he was showing me that this series is not just about you, but I've been teaching the last six months. Like this series is about Rocky Peak. Like I wanna take you through this time of suffering, this time of challenge, this time of uncertainty about your brain. I wanna take you through that um, so you're living it. So that as a church, you can share this together. You can go through this together. And I wanna be very clear here that I don't wanna compare this suffering to what some of you are going through or have gone through. I wanna make more of it it is. I just have a strong sense that we're in this together. This was part of what we're learning. And so of course, this has been very challenging. Um, you know, I spend hours and hours a week. I, I create every message basically like a manuscript at least six times. I spend maybe 10, 12 hours a week apart from research just on typing up what I do. You can't write, you can't type. Um, I'm still having um, symptoms from the concussion. I can't look at screens. For, you'll notice I'm using my old folder here. I can't look at an iPad, I'll get nauseous. And so it's like, how do I do my job? Like, how do, I, how do I do this? But from the beginning, it just felt like God was in this. He was with me. And you know, can I tell you, every step of the way, he has met me. Every step of the way, he has guided me. It's working, right? It's working. And, and it's like, this is bigger than just me. This was something for us. That together as a church, we're gonna be learning in this series this powerful principle of how God works through hard times to transform us, to teach us to trust, to teach us to rely when things are beyond us, to create in us to make us like Jesus so we become a conduit for others. And this is what I wanna ask you, have you ever looked at your life or suffering in that way? We often look, we go through suffering, say what is God doing in my life and how is this gonna make my life better down the road? How does this work into all things work together for good? And, how, and, and that's a great question to ask because I know God is working at that level. But did you ever stop and think that your story may be bigger than you? And that what you're going through is not just about you. It is about you, but it's not just about you. In the same way that Jesus went through his suffering, not just for his growth, but for us, have you ever thought that God may be taking you through your hard times to prepare you to be a conduit of his love and his presence and his healing to others? It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's challenging. Mm. Mm. And so the question I have for you is, 
is will you allow God to begin to renew your mind when it comes to hard times? Uh, that, that when you go through hard times, it doesn't mean he doesn't love you, it means he does. He's the father of all compassion. He's the source of all, he's the God of all comfort, not just in encouraging but in rescuing in the midst of your hard times that he wants to reveal himself to you, he experiences presence and power in new ways. In the midst of your hard times, you learn to rely and trust in him to be the wind in your sails, not you rowing yourself through life. That in your time of suffering, he will use you to transform your character, to turn you into a person who's like Jesus, who loves others and is willing to suffer even for their sake that you may be a conduit of his love and power and transformation in their lives. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for the beauty of your word and the way it teaches us things that we would never discover on our own. And this is one of them, how you use hard times not only to shape us, but to turn us into people that can shape others. And so, Lord, we pray as we celebrate you as the God of all compassion, the Father of comfort. We pray as we, we worship you and celebrate your goodness. We pray you'd meet us. And I pray especially for those here that are going through a very difficult time. They just discovered they had cancer. They just lost a loved one. They just had a relational breakup. Perhaps they're a, a woman that so longs, or a couple that so longs to have children and they can't, and Mother's Day is the hardest day of the year. Um, maybe it's a, the pain over a prodigal or the pain over kids that you don't have custody over, and you don't have control over, whatever it is. God, will you meet us in the midst of this and will you raise our eyes and our hope that you are in this, that we are not alone, that you love us, you know us by name, and that you're working to transform us and to use us in our lives that we might transform others. As we worship you now, as we bring our tithes, our gifts, our offerings, will you use this to create a place that celebrates and proclaims the goodness of God. We pray in your name, amen. Would you stand with me? The Father of all compassion, the God of all comfort, I don't know what you're going through today. My heart goes out, especially to those of you who are going through deep waters right now. Last night as we were singing that song and as I was walking up to share the final word, a passage of scripture came to my life. There's a passage from Isaiah where God says to Israel who feels forsaken, that feels like God has forgotten them in exile in Babylon. They've forgotten about what they're going through. He says, can a mother forget the child that's at her breast? He said, even if she forgets, I will never forget you. You are engraved on the palms of my hands. What a beautiful word that when we're going through deep waters, it's not because he hasn't, he's left us or forsaken us or doesn't know, that it's because he does know and he's with you and he wants to meet you in the midst of that. And he wants to put a song in your heart. And like Paul, it may take a while till you can look back and see it, but God is with you. 
And he's with you to teach you and to transform you and to reveal himself to you and to teach you to rely in new ways that will not only transform you, but will transform others. So may this be a week where together as a church, we celebrate the goodness of God. And I'd also ask you continue in prayer for my healing that I can get back on track. Amen? Amen. God bless you. I love you.